Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nutritionist, Michaela Shifley, the founder of KJ Wellness. On this podcast, we'll talk about all things nutrition and wellness. We'll cut through the bullshit information out there, debunk health myths, interview health experts, and give you actionable steps to help you become the best version of yourself. So go grab yourself a nice hot cup of coffee and strap in to hear the cold hard truths about health. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today I have a very special guest with me. I have Dr. Nina. Dr. Nina is a psychoanalyst, an author, and also a radio show host, which is incredible. And she specializes in food, weight, and body image issues, really helping women to stop that binge eating once and for all, and really just create that healthier relationship with food and themselves, which obviously aligns very much with what I'm doing. So I am so excited for our chat that we are going to have. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's going to be great. Did you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your own journey that you have been on? Absolutely. So when I was five years old, I suddenly and seemingly randomly, I will get to that later, looked down at my thighs and thought they were too big. And somehow if I had thinner legs, I would somehow be better. And I wasn't allowed to watch TV. I was five. I wasn't reading magazines. I wasn't watching shows. I had no media influences that would make this about um, my body, right? I'm like a little girl. Uh, But that was the beginning of my descent into eating disorder hell. And by the time I was a teenager, like I was the poster child for eating disorders. So if I look back at my old journals, every page is filled with numbers. Calories I ate, calories I burned, the weight I was, the weight I was going to be. And I was always on some crazy restrictive diet. And eventually, of course, my willpower would fail and I would eat the kitchen and sometimes I'd purge. That's why I was supposed to child for eating disorders. I just had all of them. Mm-hmm. And then in college, I went to therapy, but I went for anxiety. So I talked about guys and goals and dreams and fears and all the things you talk with about your therapist. I talked with her about every part of my life, except one. I never, ever talked about food. She had no idea she was in fact treating the poster child for eating disorders, no idea. And yet by the time I left treatment, all my eating disorders were gone and not once, not a single time had I ever talked about food. And people say, how is that possible? How do you get over all Mm -hmm. eating disorders without ever once talking about food? And my answer is, because food was actually never the problem. It was Mm -hmm. the solution to the problem. The problem was my perfectionism. The problem was my critical voice, my, my inner slave driver. Those were the problems. All the eating disorders took me away. And I should say why then at age five, did I suddenly think, oh my God, I'm too big. And I was a perfectly normal weight child. Well, so my parents are academics, they're college professors, and they're very academic. <laughs> they are very, you know, very calm, very all of that. Um, and I was not that kid. I was always being told, you're too loud, you're too emotional, you're too sensitive, you, you need to calm down. And so the message to my five-year-old mind was, 
you're too much. Mm-hmm. And my mind, and this is so cool, it speaks to the unconscious, my unconscious mind turned you're too much into, you know, I'm fi- I must be physically too much, too big. And if I were just smaller, then I would be better. And so that really speaks to the how important psychology is when it comes to addressing eating disorders. And of course, later on, I became a, a, a psychoanalyst, which looks at those hidden reasons why we're turning to food. Mm, oh my goodness. That is such an interesting journey that you have been on and so many different layers there to unpack. And obviously like the first one being that it all started at such a young age, like so incredibly young. And I think, and I go through this a lot with my clients as well. It's so interesting when we are, cause when you're that age, you were literally a sponge. And so often you get labeled as like a good girl or a bad girl. And you actually attach that to who you are. And this could be an example of you, you know, you're in school and you are somebody who likes to be outspoken or you like to be loud and you're told that that's bad. You should be quiet. You start to suppress that part of you that likes to have that voice and you might go through your whole life being like that. And so I think it's so interesting for you that your subconscious mind picked up on that that being too much was too much in a size, which is just so interesting. Well, five-year-olds are very dichotomous. They're very black and white. I remember being in New York with my daughter. I mean, I live in LA, but I was in New York with my daughter and she was six years old. And in New York, you just cross the street. There's no waiting for the light. And she's like, we're breaking the law, mom. We're jaywalking. All these people, we're all breaking the law. Are we going to get in trouble? Because for a little kid, you know, it's either black or white. And so- you know, for me at five, the too much message got literally like made concrete into me being too big. Mm, Yeah. And then how it played out in how you lead one area of your life is typically how you lead multiple areas of your life. So for you, it wasn't the food, it was everything else that was going on, but it played out with the food as well. Well, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about eating disorders or you know binge eating disorder or any eating disorders because as a clinician I treat uh, I treat men too it's about a third of my practice but I treat people who struggle with eating disorders and they all are unique and they all come to um you know develop this way of eating for different reasons but it's never when it comes to binge eating disorder it is never about food people who restrict and they don't eat enough. And then, you know, cause deprivation leads to wanting more or the anticipation of deprivation, which is dieting makes you want more. Right. So that's, but that's not really binge eating disorder. That's binge eating out of deprivation or because you're, that's part of the diet binge cycle or what have you, but every single person, no matter what their background, ethnicity, gender, age, whatever, what they all share is some difficulty in managing their internal worlds, Mm -hmm. in self-soothing, in comforting themselves, you know, that, and they think food is the problem, but they don't realize food is again, the solution to the problem. The problem is hidden from them because they get so good at turning right to food. They don't even realize sometimes that they're triggered. So they think they're triggered by food, but no, you're triggered by some situation some conflicts, some feelings, some something going on 
Mm -hmm. you may or may not be aware of and helping people recognize, wait a minute, let's slow down time. Let's look at what was that trigger? Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense as to why people turn to food because it's there. It's easy. It's convenient. It's, it's accessible until, and it does, it gives you that instant release and relief from whatever you are trying to avoid or suppress or whatever it is until then you also have the coming out the other side of the binge which is the feelings of guilt shame frustration which only fuel the fire and also you know exactly what you said i just want to add to it why mm -hmm. food well our first experience of um being fed when we're infants is we're held in someone's arms. We're in this cozy, blissful, someone's holding us, maybe looking at us with a loving gaze. And we're just in this blissful, cozy, amazing place. And that gets fused in our minds with being fed. We're being fed as we're being held and cuddled and feeling blissful. And so in our unconscious minds, we don't consciously think of this in our unconscious food equals relationship. Yeah. So when we talk about comfort food, we really are talking about a wish to be comforted. You know, and even our our vernacular and our in our language really speaks to this like we talk about oh being starving for affection or hungry for love. Even our language yeah. references that connection. Mm, that is so true. And so if we kind of backpedal a little bit, let's go back to like, what is binge eating? And I guess what's that clear difference between just overeating as well and actually binge eating? That is such a good question because I've heard people say, oh my God, I ate four cookies. I binged. I'm like, hmm. And other people will be like, I ate 40 cookies. I binged. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's more like it. So, you know, binge eating is when you eat a large amount of food in a short amount of time, usually alone, and you feel tremendous guilt and remorse and self-hatred afterwards. And it's also you're binging. And even if you're physically full, even if you're uncomfortable, even if you're in pain, sometimes you can't stop because it's, it, 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 it feels so compulsive. Um, and it's usually a way of resolving something emotional, distracting from something emotional, turning physical, uh, uh, emotional pain into physical pain. When you eat so much, it hurts you're turning emotional pain to physical pain, but you're not consciously thinking of it. You're not like, okay, let me do this. It's just happening. And the difference between overeating and binging is that overeating, we all overeat sometimes. You know, we eat too much or we're too hungry. We don't realize that we're full and we're like, oh, I overate. You know what? I'll just eat less later or I'll go on a run or whatever. When it comes to binge eating, it's, oh my God, I ate that. I'm a horrible person. I mm -hmm. feel guilty. I feel shame. So overeating is about just eating too much food and it's not a huge deal. Binging is a, about feeling, you feel bad about yourself. Mm, and it's attached to that, your self-worth, which then is so consuming. And I guess it's so physically and mentally just draining to always be in that cycle of feeling like you don't have that control and you can't stop and then being fed or, or going through all those feelings and emotions of that guilt and that shame and that self-hatred 
just it can get to a point where you're physically and mentally just done. Yeah, that's why it's so important. I, I like to say be curious, not critical. Yeah. And I, I tell people really look at, well, what's the symbolism of what you're doing? Like, let's be curious instead of, oh my God, I ate the 40 cookies. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. What did that do for you? So I call binging a frenemy. It is a friend. It is doing something for you. It is distracting, yeah. comforting, helping you cope. Do, you know, it's doing something for you. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But it's also, of course, hurting us. It hurts our, yeah. our bodies, our sense of self, our self-esteem. Um, you know, it's, it, it's horrible. It's way more of an, uh, an enemy than it is a friend, but it, it does something for you. So, hey, let's look at what was going on in your life. What were you thinking about? What, you know, what would you be thinking about if you weren't thinking about the fact that you just ate those 40 cookies? Like something's going on. Are you lonely and filling a void? Are you in emotional pain? Like I said before, turning it to, to physical pain because you can get rid of physical pain. Emotional pain is a little trickier. Yeah. Or is there something you're just trying not to think about? Are you displacing, um, feeling out of control in one area of your life with feeling out of control over food? Uh, there are many, many reasons why. And when you start to be, I, I call myself a detective of the mind, right? When you're a detective and you start looking with curiosity, then you're going to find answers. If you're just busy beating yourself up, mm -hmm. you just feel worse. But if you're like, hmm, what was that about? And detectives don't, when they look for clues, they don't say, oh my God, that's a horrible, shameful clue. That's a bad clue. They say, okay that's a clue. And when you are a detective of your, of your mind, of yourself, and you ask yourself, what's going on? Why did I do that? Uh, I'll give a great example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so I had this, I had this patient who told me that maybe some of my other people were uh, emotional eaters. That's how she put it. But she told me, no, she is a food addict. And she said she could prove it. So since I don't believe in food addiction, I said, oh, well, I'm all ears. Please <laughs> enlighten me. And she told me that the night before she'd been chilling out. She'd been relaxing. She had a perfectly good day. Nothing was bothering her. Nothing was on her mind. She was she was watching TV. And suddenly, as she put it, Ben and Jerry's was calling her name. She's like, calling my name. I'm addicted to Chunky Monkey. So wait a minute. What, what were you watching on TV? It's charmed her favorite guilty pleasure. So since she's doing something she enjoyed, nothing was going on. There's no reason why she would want to down a pint of ice cream. So what was the episode about? Oh, it's when this demon comes and, 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 and makes the sisters all fight. It breaks the bond between the sisters. They start fighting. It's really nasty and contentious. And I'm like, huh, sisters fighting, huh? And she looked at me and I looked at her. And she was like, oh my God, I know what happened, right? Because at that moment she realized that watching the show had activated her own feelings about her own sister. They had a terrible relationship, but before she could reach conscious awareness that she was being triggered by the show, she went to ice cream for comfort and distraction. If we had just been like, okay, next time ice cream calls your name, you know, do this instead, we wouldn't have gotten very far. We really had to look at, well, what was the trigger? 
And in this case, she didn't even realize it, but there it was. Mm -hmm. And so unless you get to that root of this is exactly why you are doing the behaviors that you were doing, it's not going to change old habits die hard. And I guess taking the other approach, like you said, okay, next time the Ben and Jerry's is calling your name, let's try and do something different. It's not getting to the root. And it's almost like it's a bit of a band-aid approach to what's going on rather than digging and getting to the, and understanding why, why this is actually happening. Yes. And you just use the analogy that I like the most, which is very ironic because I'm a terrible gardener. I have a total black thumb, but I have all these plant analogies, but yes, if you just pluck a, a, a weed and think, okay, and this is dieting or just focusing on the symptom, think, you know, it's never growing back. Of course, it's going to grow back. It's, it's, but it's because you got to get to that proverbial root, which is hidden from us. It's in the dark, in the ground. We can't see it, but we know it's there because it's growing this weed. Similarly, it, there's something out of a, our awareness, but not out of operation. Something we're in the dark about. It's hidden in our unconscious minds often, not always. And it, and it leads to this behavior. So to be really curious, exactly, and dig out that. And that's why I believe in liberation and not recovery. Because once you dig out the, the root, it's gone. You don't have to wake up every day and go like, okay, I'm going to be good today. I'm going to mm -hmm. you know, count my macros and exercise and I'm not going to eat that. And I mean, that's awful. When mm -hmm. you actually dig out those roots and address them, in her case, she had to deal with and heal her relationship with her sister internally. Her sister had a personality disorder. She was never going to have this lovely relationship with her sister, but she had to mourn the relationship mm -hmm. she didn't have and come to terms with the relationship she had so that she wasn't just a, a, an open wound emotionally. When she healed, you know, she could, she wasn't so triggered by that. She had to come, she had to heal her, her relationship with her sister in within herself. And then that was no longer a trigger. She then mm. Jerry stopped calling for her. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I guess it's one thing that I always say to my clients as well as through the journey of stopping the binge eating is there is no failure. There is only feedback. And if you keep using that feedback to learn from it, to dig deep, to peel back those layers of the onion, to get to that root, you're going to be able to overcome the binge eating once and for all. Yeah. That's why I called my book The Binge Cure. Yeah. It really is a cure. You can cure yourself of, of this. It, it, you, you, it can be in your rear view mirror. You do not have to wake up every day and think about this. In my show, I, I sometimes use the tagline, I want you to wake up and think about your day, not your diet. Yeah. Because you, you got other stuff to think about, right? Literally. And this is it. Like, this is our one shot at life. There's no coming back. There's no take twos. You do not want to spend your whole life always fixated on the next diet or the next calorie that you have to count or the macro that you have to count. Like, by doing that, you are literally missing out on living the most fulfilling life that you should be living. Exactly. Exactly. So for you, what are some of the most common myths or like misconceptions that you have seen about binge eating that people tend to have? Oh, 
Well, that it's about willpower, that it's yes. about control, that it's even about food, that it's a that it's about addiction. You know, I, I, I spoke to a group a couple of months ago, of people that were on this like kind of diet program. I won't say what, which one it is. And to the person's credit who had me on, I, I couldn't believe like they would have me on. But I was talking about like, they were all saying, well, I'm a food addict. Well, I'm, I have no willpower. And I said, have you heard of binge eating disorder? And they're like, well, yeah, I'm a binger. So no, 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 you're, you're a person who's binging for a reason, but are, have you ever heard of binge eating disorder? It is actually the most common eating disorder there is. It, there are far more people struggling with binge eating disorder than with anorexia and bulimia combined, way more. And they're like, no, we've never heard of binge eating disorder. They had no idea that it is a treatable, diagnosable condition. And, the, and they think that it's about something in your brain. It is not something in your brain. It is something in your mind. You know, mm -hmm. Yes, we have brains, which are the, you know, the, the organisms of our, <laughs> in our heads and our minds and brains do work together, but ultimately our minds are more powerful because I have, I have seen almost everyone who walks in my office thinks they're a food addict or feels like one. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't matter if there's, there's no such thing as food addiction. If you feel like you're a food addict, you feel like you're a food addict. But when they get treatment and they, and they, and they are healed, liberated, guess what? They can eat, you know, the, the one cookie without eating 40. They can have the whatever that they never used to be able to have. Their brains haven't changed. Mm. Their minds have changed. The way that they think, the way that they respond to themselves, the way that they uh, think about food has yeah. changed. For sure. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, I just need more control. I just need a little bit more willpower. And I think as well, it's so much about what the mind believes the body will achieve. And so if you think that you really, truly are a food addict and that's what you believe deep down, your body's going to do what it needs to do to prove you right, that that is the case. Um, some years ago, I had... <laughs> I used to have the, back when we all were in offices, now I'm 100% virtual, no one wants to come in. And plus I see people all over the world, so I don't even need an office. But um, when I had an office, I had this group and this one woman came to the group and like about halfway through, and it was always about the underlying reasons, like what's eating at you. It's not what you're eating that's mm -hmm. the problem, it's what's eating at you. Except if you're deprived, if you if you are deprived, and except if you are tired and eating to wake up, those are the two things that are outside. Them. But so so we're all uh, talking about this, and this woman said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I understanding you correctly? Are you saying that I'm binge eating because of something going on in my head and my emotions?" And I said, "Yes, exactly. It's a way of coping." And she said how dare you? How dare you? Oh yeah. That's that expression on your face. That was me. I was like, what? What? She said, I am a food addict. Don't tell me it's something in my head. And she walked out. Wow. Because, and, and the whole group was like, what just happened? And I said, you know what? It takes courage to look inwardly. 
it takes courage to think the things that you don't want to think, to feel the feelings you don't want to feel. It is a lot less threatening, easier, if you will, to, to, to go, I will eat this, but not that. You don't have to deal with the scary stuff, but of course, then that's forever. When you think the things you, you don't want to think and feel the feelings you don't want to feel and learn a new way of responding to yourself, you're done. This Then it's something you used to do and no longer do. Yeah, honestly. And I was having a conversation with somebody today exactly about that, about she wanted to start this journey of stopping the binge eating, but she had that little hesitation. And that hesitation was literally because even though she didn't like the binge eating and it didn't make her feel good, she was comfortable doing it. And she was afraid of what she had to unpack and uncover and she was like, that is actually going to be more uncomfortable than where I'm at. And so we did have to zoom out and look at the bigger picture and be like, yeah, there are going to be uncomfortable periods when you do overcome binge eating. However, is that you know worth more than staying where you are for the rest of your life? And you know, she had to weigh up those options. And of course, you know, she's now ready to step into that uncomfortable period, which is amazing. But exactly right, it takes it takes a lot of work to look back inwards and to peel back those layers on yourself. It also takes a lot of work to stay in that toxic relationship oh, with yeah. yourself and self-hatred and guilt That's and self-recrimination and feeling like, oh my God, if people knew the truth about me, they'd be horrified or just, I mean, it permeates so many aspects of your life. So yeah, it's it's harder to to do this emotional um, psychological work than it is to to diet or focus on food, but you know anything worth doing is is not easy. Mm, that is so true, absolutely. And so obviously everybody's journey of binge eating is so incredibly different. What would you say are the most common triggers that you see in people that triggers them to start a binge? It's whatever is, you know, something uncomfortable, something, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, because everyone's so different, it's different for an anybody, but it's some emotion or thought or situation that is challenging that they don't want to think about. Sometimes people will displace um, feeling, like I said before, I think like lack of control in certain areas onto food. So they you know, oh, I can't, my my boss won't listen to me and I, I can't make them listen or my parents or my sister or my husband or whatever, or wife. Um, so, but, so, you know, they focus on their lack of control over, over food. Other people, they're lonely and they feel a void, empty, or they have some hole in their life and their soul, really. And they, they eat to symbolically fill that void or anger, just talking to someone today and they're all about the Doritos and it was okay anything with a crunch is usually anger so it's it it really is different for different people or you need some sweetness in your life and you can't get it through love and affection and fulfillment and whatever so hey you get it symbolically with chocolate so it, it it's different for everybody, but it's some it's it, it's some kind of uncomfortable thought or state or emotion that is too scary to look at. Just really quick other story: um, a, a woman who belonged to my first group, and she said th throughout the group, she said, "Oh, 
no, no, no. For you guys, it's it's something internal. It's something with, you know, you don't want to look at. She's like, for me, I just need to lose 20 pounds. It's all about the 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds. And at the last day of the group, about 20 minutes before the end of the group, she said, you know, I've been thinking and actually maybe it isn't just about the 20 pounds. She said, well, if, if, if she weren't thinking about the 20 pounds, she might want to leave her husband. Wow. Right? Yeah. So focusing on her weight and focusing on every bite she took kept her from thinking about the profound dissatisfaction she felt in her marriage. So Crazy when you just, pull up this layers. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes just thinking about this means you're not thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting with the weight side of it because I a lot of people attach that well, if I just lose X amount, I everything will be perfect. Everything will solve itself. I will become happy. And the, I feel like there is a very strong link between binge eating and body image as well. And for me, it was a huge part of my journey. And when I felt good, things were good. When I didn't feel good, it was like, for me, that was a big trigger with my binging, which I definitely had to overcome. Do you see that link between binge eating and body image a bit? I do. I, I see a link between dieting and binge eating and dieting, the, the $60 billion diet industry sells us the illusion that if we just lose weight, we will have that better life. If we just lose weight, some people are going to like us better. If we lose weight, if we're shy, we're going to become outgoing. You know, we'll, we can actually change our personalities by losing weight. What an amazing superpower that would be if it were real, but it's not. And so this idea of you're not good enough and somehow you're going to be good enough at a different weight is a solution to like, oh, I'll gain self-esteem if I lose weight Yeah. instead of why don't I feel good about myself? You know, what are the messages that are telling me that uh, I should look different? Yeah. Let's challenge those. For sure. Before I started my own business, I worked as a nutritionist at one of the world's largest weight loss companies. And I saw the impact that this messaging had on women, their relationship with themselves and their relationship with food. And they had gone 20, 30, 40 plus years, always wanting to be a smaller size because they thought that that was going to fix their relationship, their marriage, their friendships, their career. Like they thought it was going to make them happy. And it was actually doing the complete opposite. They were becoming so fixated and so obsessed on these numbers on the scale. And if it had gone up, it was the worst week ever. They had, you know, it was the worst day ever. Everything came crumbling down. It would lead to so, so much self-hatred. And if the number had gone down, it's like they had won a gold medal or a gold star and their whole life and their self-worth became what this number said. And it, it honestly broke my heart to see even women, you know, in their 60s, 70s and 80s still coming in and, and still attaching so much of their self-worth and they had for their whole life. And even one woman, you know, she was in there and she was crying because she was going on holidays and she was afraid of the food that she had to eat because she didn't have the control over it and it was impacting her relationship with her husband. And it's just, it's so important that and I feel like there is a movement that's already happening, but that that movement keeps happening and, and keeps allowing women to change the pathway forwards for their life because living your life where the food is in control over you is just not one 
that you want to be living. And we have other more empowered things to consider in our yeah. lives than what what the scale says. You know, a piece of metal and plastic should not, cannot measure our self-worth and should not be the dictator of our, our of our value. Mm -hmm. And by focusing on our bodies, we're not thinking about other things in the world. We're not thinking about ideas or we're not having other experiences and we're not doing things that are gratifying and satisfying and helping the world we're we're, mm -hmm. we're our, our lives are so small yes you know, and we want to have bigger lives a smaller body will not bring you a bigger life exactly and you also have to think about who is making all of this money off this messaging that is out there because diet culture in the dieting industry is billions and billions of dollars and they make that money by feeding into insecurities that people have and making empty promises. Yeah. And creating insecurities. Yeah. Yes. That's a big one. Yeah. And so when it comes to eating food and I think because diet culture has definitely, I guess, played a huge part in this of if you eat something that is off a plan or it's not structured into your day, you get those feelings of, well, I failed now, I feel guilty, I'm the worst. Unlearning that food and guilt shouldn't be even in the same sentence together can be really hard. I definitely found it so hard to detach the two and to be like, food is literally what is keeping me alive every day. Like it's, it's my fuel. And for me, one of the biggest movements was when I was thinking about the fact that if I woke up and my car had no fuel in it, I would not expect it to get from point A to point B. Yet some days I wake up and, and won't, you know, would skip a meal or something like that. And I still expected my body to function at an optimal level, which is just so wrong because it's almost like I was showing my car more respect than I was actually showing myself. And so it was huge for me to look at food and be like, every single time I eat, it is literally a form of fueling my body, giving my body respect, love, nourishment, all of those sort of things. But I still do see in so many people that, that link between eating food and feeling guilty after it. Yeah, and often I'll, someone will say, you know, so recently someone just, she ate almost a whole pizza. Like she had a horrible, I won't go into it. She ate a whole pizza and she was just castigating herself and beating herself up. And oh my God, I it's the worst. I'm the worst. So now she personalized it. She feels bad about herself. And I said, okay, so let me just ask you, if your best friend came to you and she'd had the kind of day that you had before you ate that whole pizza, what would you say to her? Would you just say, God, you're just the worst. You just suck. You have no willpower. You're disgusting. All the things you're saying to yourself. And she'd be like, oh, no, I would never say those things. What would you say to your friend? Oh, I'd say like, it's not the end of the world. Why did you eat that pizza? Let's look at it. Let's be curious. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm like, okay, where's that voice for you? And it's really interesting how many people uh, are acknowledging other validating reassuring kind supportive understanding to other people but when it comes to themselves they are harsh they are mean they are vicious and you know what you can't hate yourself into loving yourself mm -mm. and so to to mitigate that guilt it's like well really is this a crime what is your crime 
would it be a crime if someone else did it? You know, if your crime is eating pizza, would you think that of your friend? And to really just sort of break open that notion that that binging is a crime for which you should feel guilty and then shame shame rather than, hey, let's be curious and look at the why. This is going to give us information. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna give when us you kind of zoom out, yeah, exactly. And when you zoom out, it's like what you should be guilty for is things like burning a house down, robbing a bank, you know, hurting a friend. What you should never feel guilty for is eating food. Right. Mm. Exactly. And just challenging that that automatic. Uh, uh, I mean, we've all been so exposed to that automatic, yeah. just instant guilt, instant yeah. shame. And, and the, the way to change it again is, is would you think that of anyone else? Yeah. Most people yeah. will say no. Absolutely not, 100%. And so if somebody is struggling with binge eating, what do you recommend to the first steps to take to start the journey of overcoming binge eating? Well, and, and this is, if I may just offer a quick plug in my book, <laughs> seven steps to outsmart emotional eating mm-hmm. um the first step is to stop dieting yeah. like you can't and this is the thing that a lot of people have a hard time with and a lot of people can't they just can't stop dieting but you have to plant that seed of hey this is not doing you any good if you're focusing on food you're not thinking about your why so it's to really embrace the idea that if you're if you're turning to food you're turning away from something else identify what that is really work on identifying it um and in my book and in my all my work i go into great depths of how some strategies of how they can identify it if they're not sitting across from me or in a zoom room like some some strategies to figure it out and then you've got to express your feelings people will also say well everyone tells me to feel my feelings i have no idea what that means and they yeah. confuse identifying feelings with feeling them. Identifying it is like, well, yes, I was really quite angry. That is identifying it. That is a cognitive experience. Feeling anger is like, oh my God, right? It's feeling it and expressing it in words. I'm angry because of this and I'm frustrated because of that. And then, and then responding differently to yourself, you know, what would you say to that friend? Validate, acknowledge, reassure yourself. Those are the strategies of what to do instead of going to food. Now, it sounds easy, just one, two, three. I mean, it's not, but you can cultivate that. And the more that you do that, the the more that you respond to yourself with kindness and curiosity and interest, the more you're going to find answers, the more you're going to be able to comfort yourself and soothe yourself and be with yourself, the less you need food for escape, distraction, comfort, soothing, all the things. Right. And when you actually start to take back that control over food and stop the binging, and because you will have gone through so much self-awareness and really got a unique insight into things that you need to uncover and unpack, Kind of relationship that you end up developing with yourself as well is such a big bonus through this whole journey. Absolutely. You know, going from feeling as if eyes are on you and people are judging you and they're looking at what you're eating or they're looking at you, your body, or they're just 
measuring you up and just feeling like you want to hide from the world, which of course, then you hide from the world, you know, with whatever's in the kitchen to feeling like you live in a world where you can hold your own, you feel good, you feel safe, you can feel um, good about yourself and relaxed. You, you, know, you can stay out of the kitchen at night, no problem. You, you could just be, you could just actually be in a good place is priceless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the most rewarding messages that I get from Sarah of my clients is when they've had a food in the house that they used to binge on and they're like, oh my goodness, this like chocolate has been in the house for three weeks and I completely forgot about it. Like, is this actually what it feels like? And it's like, yeah, that's how comfortable you get to be around food. Yeah. Which is yeah. so, so, so And then, powerful. you know, your life changes because you're not thinking about that all the time. You're not, it, people want to, not just stop the behavior they want to stop the obsession the preoccupation the thinking about food every minute of the day it seems like and you can and it's incredibly liberating yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely well thank you so much for sharing so much i feel like we've gone over so much and i know that so many people are going to be able to get so much out of what we have said i do have some quick fire questions for you are you ready for these I'm ready. Amazing. The first one is, what is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up? I must drink coffee. Okay. <laughs> I must drink coffee. I mean, I could say something like, I must meditate with, with a shaman in India, but no, no, no. The reality is coffee. I must go and quickly have coffee because my family knows that is, that is like, like that the jolt that puts me into action for the day. Don't talk to me before I've had coffee. It will not be pretty. So that's what I need to do. Love it. What is one thing that everyone can do to improve their life? Embrace the attitude of being curious, not critical. When we're critical, we beat ourselves up, we feel bad, and then we end up eating just to escape our own mean voice. When we're curious, we find answers, we grow, we learn. And it's just a better life. Yeah. And I feel like that can be so much more than just food as well. Like if you take that curious approach in so many other areas of your life, it's like you were going to learn so much about yourself. Exactly. And keep learning and keep evolving, right? We, we, we never want to get to a destination and we stagnate. So when you're curious, you learn new things, you learn about yourself, you learn about the world, you learn about other people. It's, it enriches your life. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is your favorite quote and why? My favorite quote, can I cheat? I have two. (laughs) Go for it. Okay. My favorite quote is live, do not merely exist Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Yes. My second favorite quote is from Kung Fu Panda. Love it. <laughs> and it's yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. I love that. But that is so true. And I think we get it's so easy to get caught up in the go, go, go of life that we forget to actually stop and live now in the present moment. Look at everything that we do have. Yeah. Yeah. And balancing those three is important, but mm-hmm. I just, 
it. I just love that. I, I love that. You can learn so much from kids' movies. <laughs> I would have thought. Now, one question that I love to ask all of my podcast guests is, in the distant future, when you are looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or one thing that you'll be most proud of? And now this could be something that you have already done or it could also be something that you are hoping to do in the future. Well, although I have written four books, and with more on the way, and I've had a radio show for nearly seven years, and wow. I've helped thousands of people. Yeah. I honestly think that my biggest achievement is stopping the cycle of emotional abuse and verbal abuse in my family, because I came from, how did you think I learned to abuse myself? I came by it, you know, honestly, as we all do, by that's how I was treated, and that's how I talked to myself. I have two girls and the thing I am the most proud of is that mm -hmm. they will never know. I'm going to get, I'm going to get teary. They will never know what it's like to have, have hate from a parent. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm proud of the most. Wow. Honestly, they will know what it's yourself. like to feel supported and encouraged and loved unconditionally. Yeah. Wow. Literally goosebumps. Shivers down my spine. What you're giving me, that is, the fact that you are changing that pathway forwards for them is incredible. Thank you. Well, tell the audience, what do you have coming up in your life? If anything that you want to share with them and where can the listeners actually find you? Well, I do have a, 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 a guided journal that goes along with my, the binge cure book. And I'm super excited about that. I think it will be out this summer or sometime this year, I hope. Um, so because I, I wanted to give people strategies, not just food for thought, which I, I do give some strategies in the book, in the binge cure, but I wanted to do like a whole book of prompts and questions and all of that. So the, the binge cure journal is coming soon. You can find me, you can get on my mailing list, you can get my binge buster roadmap you can get links to my book to books well no maybe just one book on my website my radio show all of that which is made into a podcast on my website which is drninainc.com so it's d-r-n-i-n-a-i-n-c.com everything is there Amazing. and you can and just find me on instagram and yeah everywhere for sure and i'll put all of those links in the show notes so that everybody has easy access to go and find everything that you've just mentioned. But thank you so much for coming on to the Naked Bonnet podcast today and sharing so much in that insightful knowledge that you have. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. What an incredible episode that was with Dr. Nina. So much information around binge eating and that it goes so much deeper than just being about the food. If you found this podcast episode helpful, I would absolutely love to hear from you, any feedback, or even if you know somebody else who might really benefit from this episode, then please send it to them and share it around. The more people that we can help to overcome binge eating and take back that complete control of food, the better. But I would absolutely love to hear from you. So just head over to my Instagram, which is KJ Wellness with three S's. Send me through a DM. As always, I love connecting with you guys. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day or the night whenever you are listening to this episode and I will chat with you in the next one very soon. Until then, you take care. Bye.